Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that, you, is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, And revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, lead us to serve. In the name of Christ, amen. The wedding at Cana is one of those biblical stories which when people are beginning their seminary studies or their preaching career stands out in their memory. For example, turning water into wine is one of the biblical phrases like turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, walking on water that emerge from Jesus' life and encapsulates all that he did and stood for. It also describes ways in which we may stretch beyond our normal abilities as we seek to serve him. How many times in seeking a leader do we say to ourselves, we're looking for someone who can walk on water? How many times in hiring a colleague do we say to ourselves, I want someone who will go the extra mile? These phrases align with the power Jesus shows throughout his life and in this passage in which he reveals who he is and what he can do. Now some of us who serve in or are the product of Protestant denominations which have a history of stressing temperance and abstinence from alcohol will sometimes seek to distance ourselves from this heritage by pointing out that Jesus not only drank wine, but turned water into wine. Those of us who may feel a bit uneasy about the scope of our wedding plans, as they draw closer and closer to that town that actually appears on no maps, but is known as over the top, or those of us in line to simply pay the bills for weddings that land at that place, can take some comfort from the fact that the first miracle Jesus performs in the Gospel of John occurs at a wedding feast that lasts seven days and probably cost a few shekels. 
But perhaps the most jarring aspect of this story that we notice in reading it is the apparent tension that breaks out between Jesus and his mother, Mary. Mary says, they have no wine. Jesus says, what business is that of yours or mine? She then looks at the servant, throws her hands up in the air and says, do whatever he tells you to do. He then does exactly what his mother has hinted at him to do, but which he has appeared to refuse to do. We've all been in family conversations like this. <laughs> we just don't necessarily expect to find them, you know, in the second chapter of the Gospel of John concerning Jesus, but we do. It is precisely this exchange between Jesus and Mary on which I want to focus today, but in a way that is more serious than comical. I'd like us to notice what Mary notices, why she turns to Jesus, how he reacts, and then how she reacts. Now, to follow the story closely, what Mary notices is a human need, not one of life or death, poverty or plenty, but a situation in which a wedding feast has run out of wine. She turns to her son, whom both she and we as readers know is the word that has become flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and she lays this situation at his feet. When Jesus responds to the situation with what appears to be a rebuff or a lack of concern, Mary does not respond to him directly, but simply tells the servants who are present and watching, do whatever he tells you. Mary then exits, if not the scene, at least the dialogue. She doesn't speak any more in this scene. A scholar of the Gospel of John with whom I have studied off and on and who recently passed away, Dr. Gail R. O'Day, equates Mary's action with an event in the Old Testament. You may recall that in Genesis, Joseph, who is the favored son of Jacob, is sold into slavery in Egypt. Through a talent that he has for interpreting dreams, Joseph comes to the attention of Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians. When the king has a dream of seven fat cows followed by seven emaciated cows, the king is troubled and he sends for Joseph to come and interpret. Joseph interprets the dream as a warning to the Egyptians that they will soon have seven years of plenty, the fat cow, followed by seven years of famine, the emaciated cow. Pharaoh then asks Joseph what to do about this, and Joseph offers to devise a program to score, to store grain during the years of plenty so that the nation will not starve during the years of famine. Pharaoh gives him the job, and Joseph becomes one of the most powerful people in Egypt, even though he is a slave from Israel. Sure enough, when famine strikes, the narrator tells us that all the land of Egypt cries to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh says to the Egyptians, what 
Joseph says to do, do. Just as Jesus turns water into wine, Joseph opens all the storehouses and all the world comes to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. The parallel is this. Just as Pharaoh does not know how to solve the problem of famine, Mary does not know how to replenish the wine at the wedding. But each trusts the chosen one of God, Joseph and Jesus, respectively. Each turns the situation over to the one with power, then backs away and gives that one the room to operate. Though we may comically read Mary's words to Jesus as nagging her nearly grown son, at a deeper level, Mary is actually placing tremendous trust in who Jesus is, in what he can do, and in what she will be able to do in response. Do whatever she tells you, he says to the servants. Hers is the whatever of confidence, not of cynicism. Now Mary's action, akin to Pharaoh's, leads me to ask, is it not the case that trusting God, calling a situation to God's attention, placing a situation at God's feet or in God's hands, Giving God time and space to act is a form of prayer. Isn't a major element of prayer our trust that God will indeed handle in God's own way a matter that we have brought to God's attention? If in prayer we entrust something to a God whom we believe or even want to believe may notice, listen, see, hear, care, Act, isn't that a form of our prayer? I believe that Mary's words are indeed words of prayer. Now I realize that I am not a person who preaches a lot, at least directly, about prayer. Among the most meaningful aspects of my own prayer life are the 30 seconds following the prayer of confession in which I try to clear my mind of everything that holds me back or distracts me so that I may be fully open to the Spirit of God and fully present in this worship service. In addition, whenever I stand with one of you in a home or a hospital room or an office, I try to give voice to what I think you would like God to notice, to hear, to receive, to act upon. This too is a great privilege of prayer to lay at the feet of God a human situation involving someone for whom we care. On a more personal level over the course of my life, I have laid at the feet of God situations which are beautiful or painful or both. Situations that I have expected to be 
long-term, if not lifelong. If they are a gift, I have generally been able to say to God, this is a gift from God that is worth doing everything in my power to accept, to receive, to open, to enjoy, to use, to develop. About less gifty matters. I've generally been able to say, this is a tragedy, a scar like Odysseus, a limp like Jacob's, a speech impediment like Moses, a lament for her children like Rachel's, a bitterness like Naomi's, a thorn in the flesh like Paul's. I've been able to say that these will always be a part of who I am. But in the sufficiency of God's grace, they will neither curse nor crush me. And following Paul through them, I may come to know that suffering, the suffering they bring, the hardship they bring, produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. I seek to entrust in my life both gift and scar to God. And that entrusting to me is prayer. That for me is what Mary did in this early scene in the life of her son. As together they attended this long and beautiful wedding at Cana in which the wine ran out. Yes, it's a miracle. Yes, it's a wedding story. Yes, it's a great phrase, turning water into wine. But more than all these things, it is a prayer. This weekend, as Whitney said, we remember the birth of perhaps one of the two or three most influential persons of Christian faith in American history. Among Martin Luther King's most famous speeches was the one he delivered the night before his death in a packed house at the Mason Temple of the Church of God in Christ in Memphis. I had the privilege of visiting that temple for the first time last March, sitting in its wooden theater seats, listening to a handful of surviving sanitation workers, some of whom are still working, whose immediate needs had brought Dr. King to Memphis. On that night, as you have heard and know, he concluded his speech saying, it really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning, he said, and as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we're sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked and to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got to, into Memphis, he continued. And some began to say the threats or the talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me 
from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Less than 24 hours later, he lay filled on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. Entrusting 300 years of the scourge of racial slavery to the Lord. Entrusting his own life to the Lord. I'm happy tonight. Not worried about anything. Not fearing. Mine eyes have seen the glory. It was prayer. 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 This week also brought the quiet death of a poet named Mary Oliver, widely read by Presbyterian clergy across the land, and read, I know, by many of you. Throughout her 83 years, she was known as a nature poet, and in several poems, she had profound things to say about prayer. Is prayer a gift or a petition, she asked, or is it both? I don't know exactly what a prayer is, she wrote. I do know how to pay attention. How to fall down into the grass. How to kneel down in the grass. How to be idle and blessed. How to stroll through the fields. Which is what I've been doing all day. And then in a poem entitled Praying, she wrote, It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together. And don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Do whatever he tells you, the mother of Jesus said to the servants, when she had paid attention. And then she grew silent. And soon, another voice spoke 
fill the jars with water. 